You're listening to Art Affairs, episode 85. Today I'll be talking to Jacob Gagnon. So my name is Michael Faith, and this is Art Affairs. Art Affairs is my attempt at shining a spotlight on the many wonderful people that make up this amazing art community, featuring conversations with artists, gallerists, curators, telling their stories. You can take through previous episodes complete with show notes at artaffairspodcast.com, but the best way to stay plugged in is to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And if you're really enjoying the show and want to help support what I'm doing here in an even bigger way, Check out the Art Affairs Patreon. Not only does it give you an opportunity to help keep the show going, but there are several community-oriented benefits as well, like getting early access to episodes and suggesting questions for upcoming guests. You can find all the information about that at patreon.com slash artaffairs. You can also connect with the show on Instagram at artaffairspodcast. All right, so today's guest is artist Jacob Gagnon. Jacob creates gorgeously detailed paintings of animals, generally with a surreal spin. And while he doesn't depict humans in his work, their presence is definitely felt. We talk about his use of animals to communicate his ideas, how he first got into painting, what he has coming up in the new year, and a whole lot more. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Jacob Gagnon. Jacob, welcome to the show, man. It's really good to have you on. I appreciate you coming. Oh, thanks for inviting me. I'm uh, happy to be here. Love your podcast. Awesome. So um, if you've listened before, uh, you know, I generally start uh, back at the beginning. So I know that you grew up in a small country town in Ontario. Um, was that, I mean, my li- and we were talking about this before, my limited knowledge of, of Canada geography. I know of Toronto, but was the small country town in Ontario near Toronto or, or somewhere close to the city? Uh, not really. No, we're a couple hours east of Toronto, uh, just kind of in the middle of nowhere. It's one of those towns where you drive past it, you drive through it on the highway, but you don't really, there's no real reason to stop there unless, you know, you need gas or to use the bathroom or something. And what was like that area like? Was it more rural, like farm, like a lot of farmland or what was the, the, the situation there? Yeah, it, it, it was a it was a mining town long ago, and actually it has the largest open pit mine in all of Canada, I believe. Oh, wow. There, so that's that's kind of what we had done. But um, the mine had closed up, and the town just kind of was a little stagnant. Yeah, there's lots of farms, and uh, yeah, just small town, nothing too, nothing crazy or any industry there really. Interesting. What kind of mine was it? Do you know? Yeah, they mined like uh, ore. Um, I think they were hopeful for some more precious metals, (laughs) (laughs) as you would be if you were a miner. I guess that's why it closed up. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, well, they'd hit an underground uh, like water source. So their pit Mm. had started filling up with water. So they just, I think they scrapped it and 
Yeah, there's still there's still a mining operation going on there, but it's like silt for like shingles and stuff like that. So interesting. Um, and, and with it being like so far removed from you know any big urban centers, did you spend a lot of time in nature as a kid? Oh yeah, that's that's pretty much all we did. Um, so right behind our house was just um, hundreds of acres of crown land. Um, so just a giant forest basically, and we spent a lot of time climbing trees, building forts, hitting each other with sticks, you know, all the things that you would do, right? Yeah. Is we uh, brothers, sisters, or just friends, or who's the mm-hmm. we? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I have uh, an older brother and an older sister, so we were, okay. we were pretty thick as thieves as we were younger, and, you know, all the neighborhood kids, we would all get together and, you know, kind of lived in the forest for our summers. <laughs> I'm picturing um, Lord of the Flies, sort of like it, <laughs> it got a little, it got a little hairy at times. Yeah, yeah. My dad would lock the door in the summer, and just his philosophy was like kids should be outside in the summer. So he would lock the door, and we would just have to survive out there until meal time or you know bedtime or something. Or if you had to use the bathroom, you know. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, it's, and this is a little off topic, but I, I find myself reflecting on the difference in like people upbringing today versus when I was a kid and it sounds like when you were a kid, like just how much we were just outside and given so much infinite freedom, like, Hey, just mm-hmm. go play, go play outside. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't want to see you for the rest of the day. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Yeah. We had, there wasn't as much fear around it. Right. And I think kids yeah. need that to explore, but it, and as a parent myself, it's, you know, sometimes it's scary to send your kids out there to do something that's a little dangerous, but I think that's how you learn. So, yeah. What kind of work did your parents do? Anything artistic? Nothing artistic. Uh, for the first uh, decade of my life, my mom wasn't working. She just was a stay-at-home mom. And uh, she was always in the school and helping out in our classes and with teachers and staff. Um, and then after that, she was working in a nursing home, uh, in the kitchen. And then she had another role as a, like a care worker. So not artistic, uh, per se. And my father was a, a general laborer for the first part of my life. And then he went into uh, computer repair. So he was kind of like the town computer guy. Nice IT department. In, yeah. <laughs> in yeah, yeah, like old school. I remember we had a his computer room at the time was like we had like motherboards hanging on the wall and like nice. it was yeah, it was it was awesome. <laughs> so did you have much opportunity to be exposed to the arts as a kid? Is it something that your parents kind of fostered in that environment? Not particularly. Uh like there's no there's no art gallery, no anything like that. Um there's only 1,200 people in our town, really small. Um, maybe, maybe on a rare occasion, there might have been like an art in the park or something where it was, mm. you know, some still lifes that you might see, some watercolor still lifes, but uh, no real exposure to the art world or, or galleries at that time in my life. So how did you get that bug? How did you become interested in making art yourself? Is it something you like took to at a young age or did it come later in life? Definitely at a young age. Um, I always loved drawing. Probably my brother was, uh, he used to draw a lot and he was, I thought he was quite good. And uh, we would draw lots of comic book stuff, X-Men characters and stuff like that. Stuff from video games and TV shows. And 
I just, I really enjoyed it. So that was kind of like my activity in my, my spare time is I would, I would just draw all the time. Oh, interesting. But, but what I read, you didn't want to be an artist originally. I think you, I had read that you wanted to be a, a landscape architect, which I'm not even sure yeah, what that yeah. exactly is. <laughs> no, um, I'm not sure either. <laughs> um, tell me about that. Like, it sounds like art wasn't really like you, you had it as a side thing, but not necessarily your primary like career goal. Right. Yeah. So I, yes. So art was kind of the thing that I did in my spare time. Um, and you know, like school projects that involved art or poster making or anything. I love that. I was kind of, I would say that like even my peers at that age would kind of like known like, Oh, Jacob's the, like the drawer guy. Like he's the guy that you go to if you want something to look nice or, you know, a poster or, or something like that. So, um, that was kind of like my, my, my passion, what I would, what I would do. And then the, the landscaping thing kind of came, um, I would say just before high school, I was doing a lot of volunteering and I was doing a lot of like gardening and landscape stuff. Uh, our main park in our town, they were completely rehauling it. And just Mm -hmm. one summer I just volunteered almost every day. I was down there helping, you know, like move rocks and put up the picnic benches and like all that kind of stuff. And, uh, that's what kind of got me into the design of, you know, like landscaping and stuff like that. Nice. So, and so like, how did that shift? Like how did that, your interest shift from, you know, the landscape design, landscape architecture work to becoming an artist, like actually having that be you know more than just a hobby or a side thing. Right. Uh, well, I guess it started. Uh, so in, in middle school, I had this art teacher that was just, wonderful just amazing really inspired us and just i i looked at him i looked up to him and i just thought like wow like i'd love to do what he does i'd love to be an art teacher and just his his job just seemed like the ideal job right you get to hang out with a bunch of kids you get to have fun with them you get to you know draw with them it just sounded like a blast to me but it didn't seem like at at the beginning it didn't seem like a practical thing so the landscape architecture seemed like a practical, uh, m- <laughs> practical way to make some money. Um, it wasn't until the end of high school where everyone kind of has this like mandatory meeting with the guidance counselor about, you know, what are you going to do after high school? How are you going to apply to colleges, or universities? And uh, I was all prepared to go into this landscape architecture program. And she showed me this uh, pamphlet for OCAD. And I'd never even heard of OCAD at that point. I I didn't even really know that art schools existed. I was thinking about teaching, but I didn't know there was an actual art school. So I saw the pamphlet and the next day I applied and uh, I got in and I just kind of forgot about everything else. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> it was really strange it's amazing it's just, it's so quick yeah. i mean it's like uh all you know the whole whole life changed in in that moment that's crazy yeah i think it just yeah it just really excited me and and then i just couldn't think about anything else and so teaching was like your initial gateway i guess into the art world and wanting to be art adjacent i guess so to speak Hmm. yeah so i didn't uh and so similarly, this is just how naive I was at the time. I, it didn't occur to me to go to art school to be an artist. I wanted to be an art teacher. 
And, you know, and I was like, oh, I want to be an art teacher. My guidance counselor was like, well, you need to go to this art school <laughs> and you can be an art teacher. So I was like, yes, I'm going to go to this art school and I'm going to, you know, going to complete it and I'm going to be an art teacher. That was the plan. Nice. And so you earlier, you said that that you originally didn't think that that was practical and that landscape architecture was a more practical pursuit. Do you feel like that was a perception that had formed because like your limited exposure to the art world, like you just didn't know that that was a function that could exist in society. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know any artists. I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't know anyone that my only at that point, my only, my only exposure to art, the art world was like the art gallery of Ontario, you know, and, and Renaissance art and, you know, it was kind of a thing of the past, really. Right. People that were so, all dead. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody's. And the only people I knew that were alive and doing art were doing it as just this hobby. This right, pastime. Right. Were your parents supportive of that sudden shift of focus? Like, did they uh, encourage that in you? They did. <laughs> Maybe too much. <laughs> <laughs> they were <laughs> they were for sure. My parents have like anything I've kind of wanted to do, they've just been supportive of. And I think they were just I think they were in part excited that I was going to university, which sounded pretty prestigious to them. Nice. And they're like, Yes, you go and you know, have this experience and you'll get this job after. And at the time I thought I wanted to be an art teacher, so I'm sure they thought wonderful. <laughs> While you were at school, was it then that you started shifting again? I mean, not not as much, but, you know, shifting from wanting to teach to actually wanting to create art yourself. Um, near the end of, of my time at OCAD in my final year, again, I like was trying to figure out, okay, um, how do I go into teaching from here? And I spoke to one of the guidance counselors there for like the first time in four years of attending. And he was like, oh, uh, you want to teach high school art? Well, you need a second teachable. And I was like, what? <laughs> Again, kind of like thrown for a loop. This is <laughs> this is totally me, like unprepared, wasn't thinking about it, just kind of coasting through art school. Went through four years of college and then find out yeah, on the last day. Exactly. <laughs> it, that was almost exactly what happened. <laughs> so I was, and then I'm planning it and I'm like, oh, well, now I'm going to have to come back for a semester and uh, pick up these English classes. And then I have to apply for, you know, teacher college and it was just a it was just a whole bunch of things that I wasn't really prepared for for some reason hadn't thought about um it's totally me like uh not thinking ahead like that <laughs> just ask my <laughs> wife <laughs> so uh yeah I kind of put myself in that situation and I had graduated and I was just like you know what? I'm just gonna Oh yeah, you know what? There there was one other shift there that I that I skipped over. Um uh, in my second year, second or fourth year of OCAD, um I went to school with Sarah Jonkis. Hmm. Uh, nice. who you might know. She yeah. shows at ThinkSpace too. Yeah. Um and I was introduced to her work, and that was my first taste of of somebody like seeing somebody that was like a working artist that kind of was young like me and and was was showing in galleries around the world and i just it just blew my mind nice and that was kind of like the the shift where i was like wow like maybe i could do that maybe i could do what she's doing 
Amazing. So thank you, Sarah, <laughs> for that yeah, inspiration. Yeah, and I, I, she, <laughs> I don't know if she knows that, but yeah, I, I feel like I owe a lot of that to her. Like That's amazing. She just, uh, you know, she was painting these, she would come into class and her projects, um, like we would have a project, we'd come back in a few weeks and like present our painting. And her paintings were, were actually, she was working on a show for ThinkSpace. Wow. And she, her her so her project at the time was was just like her work for her solo show so she was just bringing in her paintings holy yeah. cow um, yeah her work is so good um i didn't realize she had gotten started so young um you know like in her career yeah she i think she started she started pretty young like in her i don't know if it was her second year at ocad or or what but she was already showing in galleries and so that that inspired you to like actually take your creative um like output seriously yeah at, at that point i i didn't i couldn't name a single gallery that was showing the type of work that i like to do like i was painting these surrealist paintings and they just didn't really fit anywhere and then after i saw sarah's work and i just typed in think space and this whole art scene on the west coast just like opened up to me and i just started seeing all of these galleries that were showing work that I was just like, this is the, this is the work that I want to make. And this is, this is where my work fits in. Nice. That's awesome. And, and I, I also read that while you were at school that you studied abroad for a bit, I think in Florence, which is interesting. My, my sister also did a study abroad thing, um, but in Venice, Italy. So like not terribly far, but uh, tell me about that experience. What was that experience like going to Italy and spending, what was it a semester there, a year there? How long were you there? Yeah, I spent a year there. Uh, oh, it's amazing. I have so many memories uh, from my time there. Um, yeah, my third year, I applied to to go over there. And uh, essentially, it was just kind of like a thesis year. Like you would you would come up with a, a project and you would kind of pitch what you wanted to do. And then you would just spend the whole both semesters working working towards it. So when we went over there, the the school had uh, a large building that they would rent every year and it had a whole bunch of rooms in it. And I think there was about 20 of us and we just kind of picked our, our little corner to have our studio and set up and we would just work, just work on our art. And then we would just travel around. We had an art teacher over there and he would just take us to all of the hidden gems, all of the nice. little art galleries, all the pastry shops. Like he just knew everybody and he would just take us to all the places. It was just wild. It was so cool. That's awesome. It, like what did you, I guess, what do you feel like you took away from that experience? And like, as far as like applying it to your, your ultimately your practice. That was the first time in my art career that I had just, had been given like full reign to work on whatever I wanted. So in the first two years uh, at OCAD, there was, there was always projects and they always kind of had like, you know, a direction that they were going. And this was the first time where I felt like I could just paint whatever I wanted. And I just had all this, I was just in the perfect place for it too. Nice. Um, because there's so much, yeah, the, the influences and like everything that was around me, it was just, it felt a little magical. So I just got lost in my own world painting my weird surrealist paintings. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Um, so you graduated, uh, got your BFA in 2009. Um, I guess, how do you feel about your time at school? Like, did it help you grow in the ways that you needed? I would say 
And that's, uh, that's kind of the tricky question. I, I think the greatest benefit, the great, the, the thing that I took away from, from my art education was really, it gave me this time in my life, these four years where I just focused on my art and I just focused on getting better. I put a lot of time and hours into practicing my skill and, and kind of learning learning how to uh, do some different techniques and just and just really the time to practice as for like i i didn't really have a close connection with any of my professors you know sometimes i felt like the instruction that you got was was not really great instruction uh i don't know lots of people have different art art school experiences but for me like a lot of it 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 was almost like a you know, your stereotypical like art school, like people are like, I don't know how you would see it, maybe on the Simpsons or something that the art kid that wears a beret and is just like, oh, and, you know, and they're talking <laughs> about art in a way that sounds like really like metaphysical or something. Right. There was a lot of that there. And mm. sometimes I was like, can we just cut the bullshit and talk about, <laughs> you know, the art and how good it is, you know, because sometimes somebody would work on something the night before the project was due and they would just talk out of their ass. Pardon my French. <laughs> And, uh, and they would just, the teacher would just fall in love with it and they get this amazing mark. And here I was all week, just, you know, nose to the paper drawing like crazy and, and I wouldn't do as good, you know? Mm. So, I mean, it, it sounds like, you know, middling, I guess, experience, but it did also like give you the venue to discover like art as a practice, you know, it sounds like because you were originally going in for a teaching career, like you, mm-hmm. you could have come yeah. out the other side as a teacher, but instead you got inspired to actually become a creative yourself. Um, so even though maybe the, there was nothing specific about your instruction that gave you that, um, like changed your mind in that way, it provided the space to do that. It sounds like. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be an artist if I, if I hadn't gone to art school probably. So yeah, you got to give it that. <laughs> right. So after graduating, I mean, you wasted like no time at all. It's, it's in, it seems like according to your CV that you started showing right after you graduated. Um, and I, I think you started really heavily showing in Toronto in 2009, um, the same year that you graduated. So were you doing like any other kinds of work um, to pay the bills while you were getting your start? Or did you just entirely focus on your art practice after you got out of school? No, at the time I I basically moved back home and I said to myself, like, I'm going to spend the summer, um, working on nothing but my art and, uh, and, and see what I can do with it. So at the very start of the summer, I'd done, uh, I guess at, at the end, at the end of my time at OCAD, we had had a big show and I'd done some paintings for it and sold them, uh, at the show. And, uh, I'd sent, uh, Andrew Hosner an email there at ThinkSpace. And I said, this is, you know, this is what I've been working on the past few months. And, and he said, I really like it. And, uh, you know, send me some more when you have it. So I just spent the summer working on art and thought, okay, I'm just going to do the best that I can do. And I'm going to send them uh, an email and kind of put all my chips in that. And, uh, in the meantime, I had found like an, like a outdoor art show where I had applied and I was like, okay, well, I'll put my paintings in that and, and see how that goes. And I'll send the pictures over to ThinkSpace and see, see what happens. So 
sold some paintings in that show, which went over well. And Andrew said, yeah, I like your work. Why don't you send me a couple pieces for a group show? And that's kind of where it started. Nice. I mean, right out of the gate, just wasting no time. What um, were, were there not? I mean, I guess going straight to the U.S. market, straight to ThinkSpace, were there not that many opportunities or did you feel that there weren't that many opportunities in Toronto to show your work? Um, or is the art scene there just different from what you were looking for? Yeah, I, I even still, I haven't uh, quite found, you know, the art scene here in where I, around where I live in Toronto or London, like that shows the type of work that where my, where I fit in. So when I discovered the West coast art scene there, uh, it, that had just clicked for me, you know, just everything kind of, I knew that my work had fit in there and I'd looked here and everything here was a little bit more abstract and contemporary, I would say less, you know, than I can't name a single gallery that was showing surreal work here where mm-hmm. I felt like my work had fit in. So I know there are a couple smaller venues now that do that, but even still, like my work, there's just no, doesn't, there's no home for it here. Mm. While you were in Toronto, and I know you're not there now, um, but while you were there, um, were you at, were you trying to be active in the art scene? Like, were you going to gallery openings and trying to be, you know, just show up for the community there? Yeah, I was. Uh, I would I would go out with my buddies and we would um, hit up some gallery openings and stuff like that. And uh, I never made any connections though mm. with with uh, any gallerists, just just artists. Um, again, like not not my scene, not my type of work that I that I showed. But uh, you know, I've kind of lived my my art career online almost, which is it's so strange. You know? Strange. I mean, yeah, I, I guess and it's easy to say strange, but I think it's like, like that's just the way things are becoming, you know, I mean, like with it's everything is so distributed across the world. Like it, it's almost impossible to not have an online conduit or a, a large presence online uh, in the 2023 art world, you know. It's true there. And and there's like a little difference, right, because there are like social media artists. And sure. Yeah. Yeah. Which is that's, right. That's not like what I'm there are about, online yeah. artists. <laughs> yeah. No. No. But yeah, it, it would be nice to have a bit more of uh, a bit more of that art culture here where I live, and yeah. uh, just to kind of like immerse yourself into it a bit more. Um, you said you did make connections with like artists in the in the area. Did you find that those artists were also showing in other parts of the world, or did they have, you know, I guess more of a connection with the local community? Uh, yeah, I would say that, uh, I would say that, uh, quite a few of the artists that I know that kind of like are in Toronto or around, like show their work elsewhere. Um, a lot of it in the States, uh, and the artists that I do know that show their work here, like, I don't know, I haven't seen any like huge successful openings or shows, you know, I don't know. Interesting. I wonder, I wonder what that is. And I wonder if the people in Toronto are buying stuff from the U.S. galleries, <laughs> like the people that are interested yeah. in this kind of work. Yeah, like, it's, I it's, mean, it's an untapped market, it sounds like. <laughs> you know what? There's probably Toronto artists that are just like shaking their head and <laughs> scoffing at this. Uh, and and sure. I can't speak too much to it because, you know, I haven't been in Toronto now for, for eight or nine years. I've been living in London, right, so right. It's, just, it's disconnected enough. 
there's definitely a healthy Toronto art scene. It just, uh, I'm just not sure I fit into it. Right on. Um, and so it looks like that, you know, you showed in several group shows, you, you talked about, uh, you know, uh, Andrew inviting you to several of the group shows early on uh, in 2010, 2011. Um, and then you, it looks like you had your first, I think it was your first U.S. solo in 2012, More Human Than Human, which, by the way, great white zombie song. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if that's what, I mean, I'm assuming that it, that's what it it's totally is. To. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how did that show ultimately come together? And like you graduate from doing group shows uh, with Andrew to doing, you know, your own solo. I think he thought that I was ready to just do a, a larger body of work. And he'd kind of talked me into uh, the idea of doing a larger po- body of work is, is really nice because you get to just focus for me, it was kind of like making my my entrance into the art world, it felt like. You know, at first you're just dipping your toes and, and nobody know really knows who you are. Um, they just might see like the odd picture or something, but having a solo show really kind of introduces yourself and kind of starts you off, um, lets, your, lets people know your brand, right? So I think that was, uh, that was kind of my... That was my time to do that, I think. And and how did that, I guess, was that something that you kind of said, hey, Andrew, I'm ready. I'm ready to to do a show. Or did he reach out to you and say, hey, I'd like to do a show with you? Or like, how did that just manifest? I was pretty eager at the time. So I would I would just write him and just be like, hey, do you have any? I, I still do this. I just feel like, hey, like, what's going on? What do you have for you know, do you have any group shows or, or what can we do? And then uh, he had offered me the, the solo show and I was like, great. Yeah. Done. At the time I was taking everything that came at me. So if somebody had offered me a show, I was just, I was just all over it. With those early shows, um, were you already working in the style that you do today or were you still kind of figuring out your artistic voice in the first few years of, of your career? I would say it, it was it was definitely a little different. Uh, my work has been the same in the sense of uh, I've always painted animals. And uh, at the time, my work was really, I would say, very like concept based. Like I had to come up with this perfect idea. And I had to kind of like find a way to make it make sense or, you know, show try to translate it into through my painting. So I'd come up with this idea of doing the string theory, how everything was kind of like connected. And that's kind of what I had started with even in my OCAD days. And I just had carried that for a long time until it it kind of felt like a bit of a, that string kind of felt like a bit like a noose (laughs) where I couldn't think of ideas or things outside of that. So I think I think a lot of artists kind of do that. They start somewhere and then I mean that's how you evolve, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean it it roped you in uh into a box yeah. or, or, or whatever. <laughs> um so I mean that's cool uh, that that you kind of discovered that that hey, I want to you know kind of loose these these constraints and and explore more ideas. Um you mentioned animals and obviously that's a big central focus for you. Are are, are these either early on when you were first starting out with the string theory idea or now, um, are they meant to be characters in like a story that you're telling? Is it allegorical in a way? Like, do they represent something um, more than the animals that they appear to be? 
Mm, that's a really great question. <laughs> uh, I would say that over time, things have, have definitely changed. In the beginning, you know, I was... Yeah, I would say at times there there are ideas within the paintings or, or ideas that I had. Um, I definitely have stories that kind of go on in my head about what's happening or what what this animal's doing. All of my paintings, what I what I try to do with my work is I I try to create something different with each piece. Um, I'm not trying to tell the same story. I'm not trying to use this like I'm not trying to tell the same story. I'm not trying to use a lot like the same characters all the time. Um, the ideas are always different and the angle that I approach a piece from is, is often different. So, um, sometimes there's some deeper meaning, uh, maybe something prophetic or other times it's just silly and fun for the point of being silly and fun. So there is meaning and then there isn't meaning and, you know, or there's greater meaning and, and lesser meaning, I should say there's sure. always meaning, but mm-hmm. And in addition to the animals, there's a, a lot of times, not always, but a lot of times there's, you know, human objects, I'll call them human objects, but just objects that are markers of humanity. Um, so while humans themselves aren't, aren't depicted, um, there is like a human presence, so to speak. Um, how does that, or I guess, what does that represent in the context of the animals usually? It, does it mean something in relation to the animals that they're with? Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I do love that sense of there's kind of like a, like an eerie, an eeriness to that. I feel um, there's, there's a show that my kids watch and uh, it's similar. There's these weird creatures and characters and they're clearly living in a human world, but you never ever see humans. And, and there's something unsettling and kind of strange and uh, like curious about that. And I, I do love that idea. So in the beginning, I will say I gravitated towards animals because uh, I'm, I really don't enjoy painting people. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, I, I kind of stay away from people, um, but it's hard to uh, translate some of the ideas or the, the, th- the ideas that I have without using things that people have made, right? So mm-hmm. the worlds are created within kind of like our world you know there's this human touch to it there's man-made things but there's no there's no people yeah it's just a world of of creatures and animals yeah having such a strong focus on animals it makes me think that you know you have a love for the natural world and i think anybody that focuses so much on nature and 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 animals in their work must have a love of the natural world. I mean, I can't imagine spending that much time without that being there. So how do you feel about the state of the natural world right now? I mean, it's a big question with climate change <laughs> and deforestation. And are you hopeful? Or are you depressed? How does the, the current state of the, the world, uh, how do you feel about that? I mean, little column A, little column B there. Uh, it's hard not to be depressed at times, right? When you like read about a species of animals that's just on the brink of extinction or, or when you read like, you know, 500,000 creatures have been extinct in the past decade, you know, that's hard not to be a little depressed about that. Um, but I'm always hopeful. Um, I think it's our job to be hopeful beings because it's our job to make change and you can't make change unless you're you have some hope, right? So 
it's 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 sad days sometimes but i i think that you know originally when i started painting animals i had used i'd kind of used them in this like playful funny way just to just have fun and then there was a time in my painting career where i was like you know i i could say something with this painting you know and and i can you know raise some sort of alarm or awareness to something that's happening in in the natural world. So there was a time where that was my focus with my art. Do you still feel that way? I mean, do you still feel like your art can, or do you want your art to be used in a way to, at times, maybe not always, but at times to, I guess, raise awareness? Um, or has, has your focus shifted and maybe it's less about uh, the message and more about you know other ideas? I think, you know, it's, it's, I don't feel like it's my calling in life to, you know, like inform the world about all the endangered animals right. and to save them. Um, <laughs> it's not my job. Uh, I think that that will always be a part of my work and it's something that is meaningful to me and something that I like to do. Um, but at the same time, it's not something I can do all the time. I think, right. It, I think that's a trap. I think you could fall into doing that and you just couldn't find your way out of it. And uh, like I said, with my work, like, you know, I don't I'm not a depressive person. You know, I, I'm a hopeful person. And, you know, my work sometimes if I, it, it wasn't just playful and fun for the sake of being playful and fun, then I would lose the love to do it. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's another way to raise awareness is uh just showing the beauty of the natural world and that exactly. being the message, right? <laughs> like, cause you're showing people what you don't want to miss. Like you don't That's want them right. to miss these things. There's, uh, there's gone. more than one way to do the job. Right. And if you, you know, sometimes I think about uh, Greenpeace always gets me because everything that they put out is always this doomsday. The world is ending. We've, you know, the natural world is being destroyed. And, and I think that's an important message and there's an impact to that. But when that's your when your angle is always doom and gloom, when that's your what you're putting out there, like, yeah, at some point people are going to, you know, turn their ears off to it. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 true. It, you can reach people in different ways um, or some people uh, resonate with different ideas more. I, I tend to be more of like, you know, you have the carrot and the stick approach. You, you can exactly. scare people with fear and, and uncertainty, doubt, um, and reach a certain segment of the population that way. But another way to reach people is show them how beautiful nature is and show them the beauty of what they're potentially missing out on or will 100%, eventually 100%. 100%. Yeah. I'm with you there. Uh, so another, another large, you know, uh, I guess, uh, component of your work is the fact that uh, you you generally don't have backgrounds. So, you know, you have this kind of spotlighting of a central subject or subjects and whether it's black in the back or white in the back, there's still just the, the common aesthetic of uh, not having a background at all. How did that motif start? Has that always been a characteristic of your work or is it something that you developed, you know, as you were identifying your artistic voice? It's something that I definitely developed. Um, I mentioned earlier that originally I was working on these uh, kind of like weird surrealist pieces. Actually, maybe you can see right behind me there that. Oh, yeah. That <laughs> the crane. 
Yeah, that is like a really old painting. So I, I used to paint these very like <laughs> traditional surrealist paintings, landscapes, right? And then it would fill them full of things. At some point, I just, I would have an idea. The idea was the only thing in my head. So I would, I would start to draw it and put it down on paper. And then I would think like, oh, well, like how am I going to fill up the rest of this piece? And, uh, and that kind of clued into me that it wasn't really important that filling filling the background was uh, didn't really add anything for me to the to the story or to what I was trying to say. So to just put a background in for the sake of putting a background in um, seemed uh, seemed like a lot of time that I didn't need to spend. And, uh, <laughs> there's that part, too. But it, it just didn't. Yeah, it just didn't add anything. So I would just start by painting, painting my ideas. And then I kind of got into this groove. I kind of liked it. Do you feel so not adding anything is is one like level, but do you feel like it could have potentially distracted from so not only not add a thing, but take away from it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, um, that's that's definitely part of it, too, I think. Interesting. Um, so in addition to uh, the symbolic importance of the animals that you use and the human uh, artifacts, I guess, um, uh, like are there common symbols that you have used throughout the course of your career to mean certain things and you know, use those same things over and over to kind of represent an idea or a feeling? Not symbols. Um, no, I don't think so. That's one thing I've always tried to do with my art is I've tried to make each piece and each, each painting uh, some sort of unique idea. Um, I know there are a lot of artists that kind of uh, will paint like one subject matter over and over and over and over again, or focus on, you know, focus on a detail like that or, or symbols. And uh, for me, it's just more interesting to create something new each time. So no, there aren't any symbols or anything like that, that I've kind of repeated over time to kind of, you know, things I've tried to say or, or tie together. Not, not in that way. No. That makes a lot of sense. And I like, not tying things together across the span of your career when you're talking about like a a single body of work like a solo show do you try to inject an overarching theme uh into that single body of work and tie pieces together throughout that show once before i had i had done a show where i tried to similarly like tie things in like that and uh, it felt like i was constricted a little bit so since then, I have, uh, funny enough for my solo shows, uh, no, I, I don't normally have like a theme that kind of pulls everything together. I just put the collection of my ideas together on their own and, and they're similar, you know, my, my style and my work is similar enough that they, they all work together. Um, but there's never usually like an overarching theme. I do have some ideas for solo shows that I've never put together where I could do that. But I've I've never I've never taken the plunge and done that before. Have you not uh, taken that plunge because it's not interesting to you, or that um, it's just not kind of what you wanting to do with, or, or are you afraid people it won't resonate with people? Like what was the I guess because you had these ideas, but why haven't you like moved on them? I guess I would say uh, I I think you just said it there. Uh, it's it's really hit or miss with people sometimes, right? So. 
I had thought of this one idea for a painting and I just was like, oh, this is a great idea. You know, like I think people would love to have this on their walls. And uh, and sure enough, that painting just sat unsold for the longest oh. time and, and, and it just didn't sell. And I was like, oh. You know, I, I had a whole show planned around that idea. <laughs> so uh, just no, just scrapped oh. that, scrapped that. And uh, I think, yeah, that's that's like quicksand. I think you can uh, I think it could work out really well or it could it could bomb. I've never really thought about it that way. Just the, the fact that if you're kind of focusing a show around a single idea and that idea doesn't land, then that entire show is now <laughs> yeah, is now compromised yeah. in a way, right? Yeah. Whereas if you have a show that's comprised of a diversity of ideas, then maybe one of those ideas doesn't land, the rest of them do, then it's not a whole an entire loss. So it's a risk, I guess, is what yes, you're... Yes, yes, exactly. And, you know, and I find those, you know, I, I think the more success people have are with the broader theme ideas, right? Like if you're right, doing like... Right what's an example like uh, like greg simpkins doing like a dream world you know you can put anything into dream world you know it's it's very broad and i think you're gonna have more success reaching different people with different pieces rather than you know something very specific no that's a great example um so how do you generally uh, arrive at your ideas for new individual pieces do you do you have any kind of brainstorming activities like um you know where you're developing those ideas daily sketch routines stuff like that no daily routines um ideas kind of come the random and kind of come all over the place so i can spend a day sitting in my studio with my sketchbook and and come up with nothing um, or I could be making dinner and something pops into my head. It's, it's really, it's really kind of strange. Um, I think sometimes the, the harder you force it is actually the, you know, the harder it is to, to come up with something that you really like. So ideas are, you know, I try to put myself in a, when I coming up with a, a show or a solo show or something, I will, Usually I have a bunch of ideas kind of random throughout my sketchbook and I find that's a good activity is to to go through my old books and I'll often find little pieces of the puzzle that I will uh, have forgotten about that I can, you know, breathe new life into. So when you have these eureka kind of moments and have thought of a new idea, is that how you capture it as you run to your sketchbook real quick and start sketching it down? Oh, yes. Yes. So normally what I <laughs> normally what I do is it hits me at like the worst times, like somebody will say something <laughs> in conversation. And I'm like, oh, I could do something with that. Um, and usually I'm typing it into my, my notes on my phone. So if you go through the notes on my phone, I have hundreds of little little new notes started and they'll just be like a few random words or or ideas. And, and they're pretty abstract. But as soon as I have that idea in my mind, it just sticks in my mind and uh and then when I'm ready to get into the studio and start drawing it or, or fleshing it out, like it's, it's right there. Nice. And from there, how do you develop that composition further? Do you, um, do you have like gradually more and more refined sketches and, and then jump into the painting or do you just jump right into painting? So I would say this has kind of like evolved over time. And I, I think with all artists, they kind of go through this as you've been doing it for, for more years, you get more comfortable with your, your own skill. 
when I originally started working, I was very focused on, um, on images and finding like these perfect images online that, you know, you might have to pay royalties to use or something like that, but very specific images. And, uh, now when I know, like, let's say I want to pay a fox or a bear, I will just like look at a compilation of, of hundreds of photos and, uh, and I will just draw from that and kind of like Frankenstein them, you know, my idea from different photos to get different angles kind of things. Um, I think that's pretty common for a lot of artists. Interesting. So in addition to photo reference, are there other types of research that you do just to explore the idea? Yeah, I always uh, kind of try to do like a deep dive, especially uh, a lot of my ideas, not just around animals or like if I have like a theme or something like that. I try to do a little bit of research and reading to kind of understand where I want to take it or, or the angle I'm trying to uh, come at it from. And then at that point, I do a number of sketches. Um, and then often I will do uh, some drawing on my computer, um, very like rough kind of drawing and sketching. And that's kind of like where I do my layouts and try to figure out where everything's going to go and how I'm going to piece it together. Okay, interesting. So at the point where you actually start painting, um, is everything pretty locked down and figured out at that point? Or does it evolve, you know, even further? No, I, I usually don't start a piece until, and and this is where I would love to loosen up a little bit. But yeah, usually I have my idea perfectly laid out and set, and I don't even start a piece until I, I'm pretty happy with the idea and I'm pretty happy with how you know I have my idea for the visual and how it's going to look. And I don't often make a lot of changes on top of that. At one point, I made I would make like no like there was no changes to that. Um, and now, now I'm, I've loosened up a little bit and, uh, and now I can add things to it, but usually I've, I have a pretty clear idea where I'm headed and what I'm going to do. Do you like to work on a you know variety of pieces at the same time, or do you generally concentrate on one entirely until that's done and then move on to the next? If I'm working on something like a solo show, I will often have like seven or eight paintings that are on the go. Oh, wow. I'll come up with the idea and, uh, Usually, usually what happens is I get really excited about a new idea and I want to just start it right away. So it doesn't matter what I'm working on. <laughs> it doesn't really matter what I'm working on. I just start the new idea. And in my mind, I, I know I take a lot of time to, to complete a painting. Um, so for me, it's actually scarier to uh, do them one at a time and complete them one at a time because then I would be left, I would have maybe like two months left of a show and I might have like three paintings done. And that to me is really scary. <laughs> so if I start like eight paintings and then I know like, okay, well, I just, you know, chip away a little bit at a time, that 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 feels more comfortable for me. Um. It's interesting, though, like spreading that dopamine hit across multiple pieces, you know, and gradually kind of working away at them is interesting. Um, difference between that and just just knocking one out, finishing it up, getting that rush yes. of, of six, you know, that feeling of accomplishment and then moving to the next one. Right. Well, the like the most fun part is is kind of like roughing it in for me like that is that's like the fun part. You know, the, the small details sometimes become tedious. Or maybe there's something that I want to paint and I just don't know how to do it. Um, and that's where I will like shelf that painting and then start on another one until I can figure out 
how to actually paint what I want to paint. So that that's that yeah that's sometimes a challenging um you you pretty much work uh, in your painted works exclusively in acrylic um what is it about acrylic that um just as a medium that you like opposed to you know oil or gouache or something else so i tried oil painting once in university and uh it didn't go very well. Um, <laughs> we were painting, uh, I was painting a, a hand and, uh, because of the style that I paint, um, I often will use one brush and I'll just use that brush for everything. I'll just keep painting all the things with it. And then in an oil painting, <laughs> when you want to switch colors and stuff, uh, you can't just like muddy them and mix the same color. So I was, I was painting this hand and it started off with this really nice flesh tone. And then as each finger went on, it was just getting more and more brown. <laughs> so I had this like, <laughs> I had this, it looked like makeup swatches for different skin tones, nice. um, as my hand went on. Um, anyway, so acrylic, I would say is just that, it's just it just works for my style of uh of using like one brush and and painting a lot with it and also time uh time is like the big one um if uh if i was using oil none of my paintings would make it to their shows unless i completely overhauled how i do things and that that would that's not going to happen. <laughs> right, right. Are there other mediums that you'd like to, that you're curious about that you'd like to explore someday that maybe you haven't had a chance to? Hmm. Yeah. Well, funny, you know, we're talking about oil painting. I would actually really love to do oil painting. Okay. Um, just to, you know, just in limited amounts. Right. Yes. Yes. I'd rather do it, uh, not for my shows, but almost as a hobby, um, and learn how to oil paint. So that is, that's one of the things I would love to do. And, uh, a couple of my, uh, a couple of my pieces I've wanted to turn into some sort of like sculpture. So that nice. kind of like interests me. Um, so I've, I've done a little bit of research about how to make some, um, like kind of like vinyl toys and sculptural pieces like that. So that could be a future thing that I might, might dabble in a little bit. Awesome. Very cool. So I, I guess, and we talked a little bit about this earlier, but like looking back throughout the course of your career how do you feel that your your practice or just your artwork itself has evolved you know over that time like whether it be the methods that you work in or just the themes of the overall style we talked a little bit more about just detaching yourself from the constraints of a single idea like the string theory uh, but yeah has, has your practice and the way of working evolved throughout the course of your career yeah definitely i think where a lot of people start getting into art i think we all kind of start at the same the same place as as we all start by like copying things that we see right at a young age you you know you have a cartoon character and you start drawing that cartoon character um well even before that it starts with tracing right you trace and then you kind of evolve over time and and i've really noticed that with my own work is um you know, when I, when I started this kind of like surrealist journey, like I was just so in love with Salvador Dali and his paintings that I, my, I wanted my paintings to look like his. And now I can say with my work, like my work looks like my work. So there was, there were times where you're influenced by other artists or you see something and there's something about it that's magical or special or that you really like, and you want it to be yours. 
now I feel like my work is, it's mine. I feel like I've developed my own style and kind of my own way of doing things. And uh, it's uniquely mine. So I'm proud of that and, and you know, and excited that, that I have that. Yeah, I mean, that's a critical kind of time in a, in a person's career where they move beyond their influences and develop their own voice. Do you have any like advice to young artists who may be in the earlier stages of their career and still, you know, kind of working in the constraints of their inspirations that you need to find or, or, you know, need to kind of give themselves the freedom to discover their own creative voice. Oh, um, no pressure. (laughs) Yeah, no, (laughs) you know, I, I think, uh, just to, to speak to that, like, I, I think we, we all, we all start there. So I think it's really hard to find your own voice and especially with social media and, and all the things coming at you now, like it's, it's really easy to latch on to what somebody else is doing, I think. And, and, and try to like kind of copy that. And I think your way through that is, is to just keep working and keep practicing. And I think that eventually, you know, people will have things that they want to say or their own ideas that they want to draw. I think, I think that's it is you, you just expressing your own ideas, you know, and it's really hard to do that when you have all of these images and all these artists and all these, you know, things that you love coming at you because you you want to do what they're doing, um, but you have to do it in your own way, and you have to have your own ideas and voice. And uh, I think I think a lot of artists come out and they they want to make their masterpiece, or they want to, you know, just start. They say, "Oh, I want to do this. I want to do this style." And I just think it just takes time and practice to to get where uh, into a good place. So I would just say to just keep at it and keep practicing and and keep really thinking about your own themes and ideas. Um, I think that's important. Yeah, great advice. Um, so let's talk about what you have coming up. What is, uh, what's what been your main focus lately and what does 2024 look like for you? Sure, yeah. Um, you know, the past uh, the past like couple of years have, have been like a little bit of a roller coaster because, uh, you know, I have a young family. Um, so if I have three kids now. That is that's definitely changed how I've worked. Before then, I would just work day and night and, uh, you know, get focused on shows. And now uh, now I have a lot of considerations. So yeah. <laughs> um, lately, uh, lately, I've been doing a few more just group shows. And uh, I curated uh, my first show at Gallery 1988 recently, um, which I was pretty excited to do. Um, it was a really fun experience. I'd love to maybe dabble a little bit more into that in the next couple of years. But yeah, upcoming, I just have uh, a few little group shows planned through 2024. Um, I have some new prints that are coming out soon that I've just actually got back from the printer. So I'm going to be organizing some uh, runs of those. And uh, also I'm planning to do uh, a few more, um, a few more uh, just kind of, I have a couple projects that I like to tackle on my own that I'll probably just be selling through my own shop. So okay, it won't nice. be in galleries. Yeah. So focusing on a few more things like that. When you say projects, are those paintings or some other form? Yeah. Paintings. Yeah. No, I have some kind of like some ideas of, uh, some, a couple themes that I'd like to do. So I'm going to test the waters and, and just do some like preliminary paintings and sketches and I'll be tossing those out and see what people think of them. And, and, you know, maybe, maybe it will take off a little bit and maybe it won't. So. 
Awesome. Very cool. Um, with the group shows coming up, are, are uh, what galleries are, are they with? Yeah, so the the first group show that I have coming up is uh, with ThinkSpace there. Uh, Ken Fluallen invited me to his Nerdstalgia show, which I'm pretty excited about. And just with that Gallery 1988 uh, show that I had organized, I'd kind of transferred my love of video games into my art. So getting to <laughs> be in Ken's, Ken's nerd show is, is kind of exciting for me. It's uh, getting to work on art that's kind of outside of my regular gallery work. So, yeah. Very cool. Yeah, just uh, I think I think the group shows that I have planned are just with ThinkSpace right now. So Awesome. You mentioned wanting to, you know, move a little bit more into curating. Do you have anything on that side of things lined up or is it just something that you want to try to explore? Yeah, no, I don't have anything lined up. I just uh, I just really had fun doing it. I know it, I know it can be a headache trying to uh, gather all these artists and uh stay on track of everyone and and put it all together and do the advertising and some but there was something about it that um kept me busy and that i just i don't know there's something about it that i enjoyed there was a piece of it that i hadn't done before that i enjoyed and maybe i would bash my head against the wall and hate it in a few years but uh i just would like to yeah i'd just like to do another show or two i think very cool. So like with the print releases and, and the other things that you have coming up, the new the new uh, painting projects that you're going to try out, where can people find you online so they can follow these things? Yeah, so I have a website, which is just jacobgagnoart.com. And I also post on Instagram pretty regularly. And that goes through my Facebook too. And I'm pretty sure my handle on Instagram is just jacobgagnon. Awesome. So last question. And this is something that I like to ask everybody. Uh, who is one artist that you'd like to see me have on the show? Okay. I did think about this one and it's really hard because you have a lot of amazing artists that you've already interviewed. So my first thought actually was Sarah Jonkas. I feel like I, I owe her. I got to give her some props there. So <laughs> she would be, I would put forward to that. And she's just a great human being. I think, uh, I think you'd have fun talking to her and, uh, oh, I did have one more that I thought of, uh, okay. Um, yeah, go ahead. Naoto Hattori, I think. Would oh, be, nice. I don't think you've interviewed so good. him yet. No, yeah, no, he's I, a wonderful, wonderful artist. So much detail in such small, like he he manages to pack so much into his work, um, and there's like really small, but they're so, tiny, like, they're gorgeous. super tiny. Yeah, I always they're very they're very like uh, gem like and precious. Yeah, yeah, really enjoy yeah. his work. I also really love the way that he presents them as well. Um, so the framing around mm-hmm. the pieces always looks amazing. Um, the whole the whole presentation is just immaculate. Yeah, really nice guy too. Oh yeah, have you talked to him? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Okay, awesome. Well, Jacob, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me today. This has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. I really enjoyed uh, chatting with you too. Thanks for having me on the show. So that's it for this episode of Art Affairs. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Jacob. I really liked what Jacob had to say about finding your creative voice, sort of breaking out of the constraints of your inspirations and freeing your own ideas. That's such a crucial period for an early career artist, defining what your look is and what you want to say with your work. It's not easy, but it'll ultimately define what your art even is and help distinguish your art as your own and not just a mirror or mimic of the things that you take inspiration from. 
It sounds like Jacob is super busy being a father for his young but also fairly substantial family. So there doesn't sound like there's going to be a new solo show on the horizon, but he will be participating in several group shows in the coming year, at the moment all at ThinkSpace, and also adding some new paintings to his web store to, you know, test out some new ideas. And that's in addition to the various print releases he'll put out throughout the year. Be sure to follow Jacob's Instagram to keep up with all of these things and more. So thanks again to Jacob for joining me today, and thank you for checking out the show. I'm truly grateful for your support. And just a reminder, one big way you could help out if you're really enjoying the show would be to check out the show's Patreon. You can find all the details on patreon.com slash artifairs. And as always, you can contact me through my website at artifairspodcast.com or on Instagram at artifairspodcast. So until next time, be good to yourself and be good to each other. Thank you.